Hello, listeners. Good evening. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. And this is our guest star. Uh, Brandon. Uh, Brandon is one of my... Uh, did we meet in high school? Or did we yeah, meet we met in high school. Yeah, we met in high school. Oh, wow. So we have known each other for a long time. You've um, passed the seven-year mark. We have passed the seven-year mark. Um, this is our podcast, Ars Paradoxica. That is not our podcast name. We it's know not? that, Andrew. What's our podcast name? Armchair Apocrypha. Armchair Apocrypha. That's right. I was close this time. No, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm closer than I have been, okay, I should say. I'll let's, give you a little leeway on that one. <laughs> let's make it a, a ranked voting choice. Um, <laughs> this is the podcast where uh, armchair experts uh, tell possibly true stories. Um, something just... Um, so my mini fridge makes noises all the time. <laughs> okay. And it's happening more and more. I thought it used to be when I had my mouse problem. Yeah. But I no longer have my mouse problem, and it's still making noises, and it's really weird when I'm sitting on the couch here, <laughs> all by myself at night, like, watching Netflix or whatever, and there's just all these, like, cracking noises intermittently throughout yeah. the kitchen, and there's, it sounds like there's someone in there, but I swear it's just a mini fridge. I don't know what it's doing. Okay. One day it may explode. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't even know I have it. If you ever hear about a mini fridge explosion in Louisville, you know, <laughs> It'll uh, be me. <laughs> it may be my co-host. <laughs> Um, we have exciting news. Uh, mm-hmm. Our friends Katie and Cameron have started their own podcast. Yes. Which uh, I think we're going to put up on the site. Yeah. Um, eventually. Um, also, my friend uh, Duncan started his podcast. Um, so those are respect- res- respectively. Um, you're going to hate this. You're going to hate this and the Pettysburg Address. <laughs> the Pettysburg Address? The Pettysburg Address. <laughs> so we're starting. You guys are lucky you have your alliteration. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> So we're starting a small um, podcast collective here in Louisville. Um, if you live in Louisville and you want to start a podcast, please jump in on this. Yeah. Uh, the more the merrier. Yeah. I don't... Is, do we know when Amy is going to start recording her podcast? No, we... No. Uh, I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. <laughs> I hope there's a grilled cheese pun. <laughs> I think it'll be every time she comes on ours. Okay. Amy's so we'll just, Corner. <laughs> we'll just make an Amy's Corner whenever she comes on oh, our podcast. Is it the same Amy? Or? It's a different Amy. Oh, um, oh yeah. Uh, DSA had a uh, grilled cheese cook-off yesterday, and uh, one of our chairs, uh, Amy, um, she won. Uh, she had a really good what was grilled cheese. It was like artisan bread and like uh, and avocado and oh. avocado yes. it was the avocado somehow yeah. that was popped through <laughs> oh yeah I, I don't understand it um, yeah it had onions and it had some kind of like sauce on it and it was that really good heavenly um, and so she gets to for the next year decide what uh, kind of sandwich um, DSA uh, definition price. DSA has and she is a radical sandwich anarchist so everything's a sandwich. Everything can be a sandwich. Everything's a sandwich. <laughs> Head of lettuce is a sandwich. <laughs> Soup is a sandwich sometimes. What? Some tweets are also sandwiches. Some tweets are also sandwiches. Radical sandwich anarchy. Nope, that, yeah, that's too much. <laughs> Look it up. Too much anarchy. <laughs> you can never have too much anarchy. According to the macro, it's a Pop-Tart. That's the... Yeah. Oh, have you seen I this mean, macro? I've heard of this. This okay. like everything is a sandwich thing. We're gonna do really quickly. I promise that we won't make a habit of this. We're gonna look up this macro so that Rachel can see it for the first time. Do you remember which channel it was in? Uh, no, I just, personally, I would just Google it myself. But. Well, as long as we've got it like posted somewhere, I just want to look it up. There it is. The sandwich alignment chart, mm-hmm. radical sandwich anarchy, a part chart, the sandwich. Get the out of my face. <laughs> uh, for listeners who haven't seen this, it's a chart. Uh, you've got on the left side, ingredient purist, in the center, ingredient neutral, and on the right side, <laughs> ingredient rebel. Um, and then at the top, you've got structural purists. So the tru- structural purists go from uh, uh, hardline traditionalist, so a BLT is a sandwich, mm-hmm. to um, ingredient rebel structural purist, so... Uh, an ice cream uh, between two waffles is a sandwich because it has the shape of a sandwich but not the ingredients of a sandwich. Uh, Then you've got structural neutral and structural rebel. Um, So you've got uh, ingredient pure structural rebel is a structural uh, is a chicken wrap a sandwich. So 
wrapped is bread wrapped yes. around traditional sandwich ingredients, and then why don't you just the, call it a wrap? Hmm? Why don't you just call it a wrap? Because it's a sandwich. Oh my gosh, it's a wrap sandwich. <laughs> yeah. A wrap sandwich. All wraps are sandwiches. Um, and then you've got ingredient neutral structural rebel, which is a burrito as a sandwich. And then at the very far uh, lower right hand corner, you've got radical sandwich anarchy, which says that a pop tart is a sandwich. I'm done. <laughs> I just think it's a very nice Venn diagram of D and D fans, sandwich fans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just hit all the niches. Um, and that's how you make a meme. Yeah. And that's how you make a meme. Exactly. <laughs> that's very true. Um, and because a pop tart is a sandwich, wontons are also sandwiches, and so's lasagna. I'm um, over this. <laughs> as long as it has the shape and ingredients and something is sandwiched, it's a sandwich. Okay. We'll get back to this. Maybe my next episode will be about what constitutes a sandwich in my mind. Listeners, go ahead and email us and let us know what, uh, what you think a sandwich is. Do you guys want to get into the episode? Yep. Sweet. I'm ready to hear what you're going to talk about today. Well, I am going to talk about a suffragette. Nice. Um, so this is right up your alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever heard of Estelle Sylvia Pankhurst or Sylvia Pankhurst? <clears throat> No, actually. You don't if know? You, I mean, Sylvia sounds familiar, but okay. that might not be this person. Have you heard of her? Vaguely. Vaguely. Okay. okay. Uh, Sylvia Pankhurst was a British suffragette. Um, nice. She was born in Manchester, England. All right, you do the rest of the episode in a British accent. In 1882, <laughs> um, she was the daughter of, uh, uh, the daughter of <laughs> Richard Pankhurst and Emmeline Pankhurst, Uh, who both later became founding members of the Independent Labor Party. Um, So her parents were both, uh, they were both uh, liberals. They weren't, um, they weren't leftists, but they were both progressive for the time. For the 1880s. For the 1880s. Um, So her mother, Emmeline, and her sister, Christabel, both worked for uh, this organization called the Women's Social and Political Union, or the WSPU. Yeah. Um, in 1906, she joined them as a full-time member, um, and she uh, did a lot of their um, their logos and her, their leaflets. She had gone to school for uh, art, um, and so she would like hand draw or paint or do whatever they needed her to. Oh, cool. um, in 1907, she went around England and Scotland, and she would paint portraits of working-class women in their working environments. So great uh, propaganda there mm-hmm. um, but Sylvia was a lot more radical than both her sister and her mom um, and she if you were talking about her I knew she was going to be. <laughs> um, she was involved with the labor movement when her mom and sister sat it out to, uh, to pursue suffragism um, and she and uh, she was eventually expelled from the WSPU because she um, she showed her support for the double knockout. Do you guys know what the double knockout was? It's in boxing when you knock out a person twice. That's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> the double knockout. I'm not a boxer. <laughs> it's <Well>. thank you. <laughs> the double knock, uh, lockout was an industrial dispute um, between twenty thousand workers and three hundred um, uh, employers, factory. Uh, landlords, uh, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, It took place in the city of Dublin, which is why it's called the Dublin Lockout. And it was one of the... Oh, they said double knockout. Dublin. Oh, okay. Dublin. So it's one Irish person. Sorry, it was my British British accent accent. that (laughs) threw you off. Dublin Lockout. The Dublin Lockout. 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 Wow. I got all of... I got every (laughs) single word wrong in that. I swear I'm listening. (laughs) We were at the the bar one night, and I turned to Mary, um, and I was talking about one of our uh, managers, and I was like, did I tell you that Cindy tried to correct my grammar uh, (laughs) last week? And she was like, what happened to your grandma? And somebody else was like, I thought he said roast. And I was like, each one of you is more wrong. (laughs) It was just completely wrong. Um, the Dublin lockout, uh, it was d- industrial dispute. 
uh, 20,000 workers, 300 employers. Uh, the dispute lasted uh, more than a year, and it's often uh, considered one of the most severe industrial disputes in Irish history. <clears throat> so when the, uh, the double knockout happened, um, she, Sylvia, threw her support behind the double uh, workers, yeah. um, which caused problems with her sister and her mom because they are English and... The English don't generally. English. <laughs> the English don't generally support the Irish workers. What? Yeah. No. I know it's it's hard to believe, guys. <laughs> um, she was also a pacifist. She was way way against sending any troops into war. Um, so in WW1 and WW2, she was very much against sending any British troops into the war, um, and that caused problems with her mom and her sister as well. Um, Basically, her argument was that we should focus on organizing the working class. We shouldn't be sending the working class overseas to die, which is still something that we're arguing today. Um, So she started uh, her own organization. Um, She was one of the founding uh, founding organizers of the Workers' Socialist Federation, it was originally the Women's Socialist Federation, which evolved over time. Uh, I think that it's still still around, or at least still publishing, the Workers' Dreadnought. Um, but it was organized against the First World War. Um, and supposedly, we don't know if this is true or not, but uh, its members had a habit of hiding conscientious, conscientious objectors in their uh, basements or in their attics so that they wouldn't be picked up by the police. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and both her mother and her sister were both for the war, so she fell out with them pretty quickly. Uh, in 1915, she gave uh, her enthusiastic, enthusiastic support to the International Women's Peace Congress, which was held at The Hague, and basically um, argued that uh, everybody should lay down their arms right now, stop fighting, Stop with the Russian Revolution stuff. Stop with all of this stuff. Let's just talk it out. Which did not go over well with anybody. I was going to say, I don't remember <laughs> that happening in history. No. <laughs> um, so uh, as she came back to England, as she was working with the Workers' Socialist Federation, uh, they had a splits with the people that they were working with because they were um, left communists, which do you know what the difference is between a left communist and just a regular communist? No, I don't. They're all left-handed. No. That would be funny, though. (laughs) Organize the lefties. Hey, I'll organize it. Um, Left communists are people who uh, subscribe to Marxism but don't support Lenin or Stalin. So it's a broad category of uh, people who, um, let's say, anarcho-communists and... Social, uh, social Democrats. They mm-hmm. would both be uh, left communists. Neither one supports Lenin, neither one supports Stalin, but they're both communists. Oh, yeah. The prototypical tanky would not be a left communist. Right, because yeah. Just be. mm-hmm. Tankies are not in this group. <laughs> <laughs> just keep the tankies out of everything. Uh, let's see. Uh, she started organizing with the Communist Party in, um, in England. Uh, it's um, her idea with organizing with the Communist Party was what she called household Soviets. So she wanted to basically radicalize people who were living in their homes, women who were usually the caretakers, uh, men who might be unemployed mm-hmm. or living on the dole, um, people that weren't out uh, working in uh, factories and stuff and didn't have. Uh, access to what we usually do with organizing where we go out and we talk to workers and say you know you don't need your boss your boss needs you she was like what if we started like going out to people's homes and doing this what if we told them you know the system is working against you let's organize these people um and that was her idea but as you guys might have picked up uh she has kind of her very hardline stances about what she won't go with and what she will go with. And she was expelled from the Communist Party of Great Britain. Um, 
when uh, leadership of the um, the workers' dreadnought, her newspaper, was handed over to the Communist Party, she revolted and they expelled her. Alrighty. Yeah. She's gonna really get an expulsion. <laughs> she has gotten expelled from three <laughs> things so far, and I'm only halfway through. Um, one cool thing about this, uh, throughout this series that we've been doing, mm-hmm. uh, badass women, a lot of them exactly, uh, a lot of them like choose their own names, mm-hmm. um, and I thought it was cool because she was born Estelle Sylvia Pankhurst. She dropped the Estelle. Estelle. Um, she also objected to entering into a marriage contract, and she didn't want to take a husband's name. And so she had a, a bunch of, like, common-law husbands throughout her time. Oh, my gosh. Um, near the end of the First World War, she uh, was living with an Italian anarchist named Silvio, Silvio Curio. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also uh, had long-term relationships with a bunch of... Uh, union organizers and other people involved in left politics in Great Britain at the time. Yeah. Um, in the early 30s, uh, she drifted away from communist politics, um, but she remained involved in movements connected to anti-fascism and anti-colonialism. And her big pet project was the uh, the Ethiopian Revolution, um, and she wanted to uh, get the Italian uh, imperialists out of Ethiopia. Um, and so that became her big pet project for most of her life. Um, and so she, uh, when she died, um, she was buried in Ethiopia at Addis Ababa. Um, and she was named an honorary Ethiopian because of her support of their, yes, support of their stuff. And she's the only foreigner buried in front of Holy Trinity Cathedral in Addis Ababa. Hey. Yeah. That's cool. She wasn't expelled from India. <laughs> <laughs> just goes to show, if you just stick up for what's right, eventually <laughs> you'll be welcome somewhere. Um, let's see. Uh, throughout the later part of her life, she was monitored by MI5. Um, they would go through her mail. Yes, um, but didn't they know she was a huge pacifist? Uh, apparently they didn't trust anyone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so is MLK. Uh but there's a big sure. collection of her letters and stuff on uh, on file at MI5. Um, and in addition to her newspaper and her journalism, uh, we have a big collection of like things that she wrote. Um, and so if you go to, uh, if you search her, if you uh, just go to your local library, um, she also has stuff on Libcom. Like, uh, it's not hard to find stuff that she's written. Um, so it's not spying, it's historical preservation? Yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> um, yes. After the post-war liberation of the Ethiopia, she became a strong supporter of the union between Ethiopia and Somaliland. Um, MI5's, MI5's file um, tracks her throughout this period. Um, and she, they, uh, MI5 considered strategies for trying to... Um, make sure that she didn't have any kind of platform. Uh, They basically wanted to censor anything that she wrote or any correspondence that she had. Uh, But she became friends with uh, the Ethiopian emperor, uh, Haile Selesi, and in 1956 she moved to Addis Ababa, um, and that's where she lived out the rest of her days. And they basically gave her free free range to write whatever she wanted in the Ethiopia Observer. That's cool. Yeah. And that's the end of it. Respect. Yeah. Uh, so what do you have for us this week? <clears throat> so, <laughs> I got the inspiration last night when we played Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know how it came to be, but I'm glad I remembered today Yeah. when I got off work. Um, and we already have the alignment chart, so. Yeah. We have oh, already yeah, done the alignment chart. This is not a Pop-Tart sandwich. <laughs> this is BLT with an avocado sandwich. Okay. Um, is a BLT with an avocado a BLT? Bacon, lettuce, tomato, A. BLTA. BLTA. Bolt. Bolt. Bolta. No, that's two days. <laughs> Stubble the avocado. <laughs> um, so, okay, didn't turn off. As you know, I love, like, all the Marvel and, D- well, I don't actually watch the DC movies at yeah. all. Um, <laughs> no one else does. <laughs> yeah. And I, the only comics I ever read were yeah. actually 
the graphic novels that Cameron gave me, which is Why the Last Man and Watchmen, which I loved. But I've never been a big comic book reader. But I like watching these. I like seeing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I did the one DC movie yeah. that I love is Wonder Woman. Yes. And so today, I'm not going to go into her whole thing, but I'm going to talk about the mascara. Okay. Because I think that's a really interesting thing. So I yeah. looked as much as I could about it, and I want I feel like you know a lot about it. Uh, I might know yeah. a little bit. So I'll tell you what I know, then I'll hear what you know. Okay. So obviously, as we know, the mascara. <coughs> Are you familiar with the Wonder mascara. Woman? And... Um, I mean, as much as anyone Okay. Same here. Until I googled it. Just pop culture. (laughs) So yeah. Same here. Also, when I first saw the movie, I thought she was saying the mascara. (laughs) So I thought the actual eyes name was mascara, but no, it's the mascara. (laughs) Um. So it is the island where the Amazonians lives and slash Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. So the mascara was first introduced in the All Star Comics issue number eight in December of 1941. I.e., that's when Wonder One was first introduced right. by William Knowlton Marston, which there's a new movie about him, his wife, and their nanny, as yeah. we all know, coming out soon. <laughs> That'll be interesting. We got this question wrong at um, Trivia last week, by the way. It was All-Star Comics, yeah. All-Star Comics. I was like, is it Adventure Comics? Is it Detective Comics? When would she have been? When did she first appear yeah. as the All-Star Comics issue number eight? Okay. Too bad I didn't talk about this last week, and then we would have known. Right. My bad. I was weak off. <laughs> we did get this one wrong. I remember that now. We were very close. But we still won. Yeah. Um, um, did you know that it wasn't originally called the mascara? It started off with a different name. What was the name? Um, it was called Paradise Island. Paradise Island. Which I get it. A land of woman warriors. So <laughs> <laughs> um, and the women who lived there, um, the Amazonians were immortal just as long as they didn't leave the island. That mm-hmm. was one of the fun things. Um, there's a lot of different perceptions on the island. Like, obviously, everyone portrays that as, like, very beautiful, luscious green land. Yeah. Um, breathtaking. And, and a lot of versions, um, and they did it in the movie, is that it's hidden from view. So, like, people don't know where it is. Right. I'll get a little more into that in a little bit. Um, do-do-do. Uh, the ruler was the queen of the Amazons. Um, and Wonder Woman's mom, Hippolyta. These Hippolyta. Are, yeah, Hippolyta. I keep wanting to say Hippolyta. Um, Remember, they're all Latin names, so you got to say them as though they're I'm all trying. Names. I'm going to mumble it so you can't really hear me say it wrong. Um, so obviously the Amazonians, I'm going to tell them a little bit more about the Amazo- Amazonians than like the Mosquera, because there's only so much you can tell about the island itself. Right. So, um, the Amazon, the Amazons actually first saw what was in Amazonia. Okay. Um, the story goes that the demigod Hercules was tricked by the god Ares and captured and enslaved the Amazons. Long story short, the Amazons were finally able to kick Hercules' ass, um, but them being tricked and all this stuff and getting Aphrodite's help piss off Aphrodite. <laughs> so, as penance, they were forced to wear bracelets to remind them of their foolishness in dealing with men, which is why they all wear bracelets in the movie. Okay. Um, and then they moved to Paradise Island. Paradise Island. Yeah. Um, and the Amazons are not the only people who lived on the Sierra. A lost race descended from Hippolyta's sister, Antipi, 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 it's in... A-N-T-I-O-P-E. It's not it. Antiope? Antiope, thank Antiope. you. Antiope? Antiope, that was it. Antiope. Antiope. Um, Antiope inhabited the hidden city of Bonamigdal. Swear. <laughs> if you Google this, like, it's hard to find. Yeah. It's located in Egypt. Um, the Bonamigdal were pretty different from the Amazons. They... Um, first of all, they decided the best way to continue their population, which is a many people ask, is they these were the people who kidnapped men and used them just for breeding only. <laughs> <laughs> they locked these men in staples and only made use of them when they there's a need for the for procreation. Oh how uh, the tables have turned. <laughs> female children were trained to be warriors mm-hmm. one of their own while the male infants were killed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um but eventually they did come back to Amazon and they kinda did the Amazonian ways. Yeah. Um Originally, there were three generations of Amazons living mm-hmm. on the island, with Wonder Woman being from the second generation. Um, this is where it gets like a little out of order. I just like kind of 
found different things. So in February of 1987, um, there was a comic reboot to help with the continuity with the DC Comics. Right. Um, and that is when they actually renamed Paradise Island to the Mascara. Okay. So for like over 40 years, it was called Paradise Island. But yeah. then they just recently-ish, quote-unquote, they named it the Mascara. And it was to honor the Amazon's original city-state, the capital of Greece tribe, in Greek mythology, which was originally located in what is now modern-day Turkey. Um, this, I thought this is cool. So the 1987 relaunch of Wonder Woman establishes that the Amazons are the reincarcerated souls of women slain throughout prehistory by men. Reincarnated? Yeah. Reincarnated, okay. That's what I said. All right. You said reincarcerated. No, 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 no. Like, reincarnated. Reincarnated. <laughs> um, difference. Yeah. Um, the Amazons may be a society of just women, but in the comics they are shown to be very, very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, they all have different races, variety of skin and hair colors, although they do all have similar body types. I have to give that's like the one thing. Um, right. The, their world is one where racism, sexism, and inequality do not exist in their language. Homosexuality is completely natural to them, while some are like um, are asexual. Others have like loving sexual relationships with mm-hmm. the other Amazons. Um, occasionally, the sea nymphs around the Mascara yeah. bring to the shores bring to their shores young infants who would have otherwise drowned in accidents. Called sending forth, these infants are tutored spiritually in Amazon ideals, and then they're sent back mystically to the place of their disappearance, <laughs> which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, so here's the fun stuff about like the the mascara and where it's located. Where you guys think it's located? You said Turkey a minute ago. Was that well, no, it's named after the Greek okay. mythology area of that area. I'm not sure. Though. Um, the Aegean or the Black Sea, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's been in many places, is the answer. Um, uh, originally, it was supposed to be in the Pacific Ocean, somewhere near um, the coast of California. Mm. Then, in the 1970s, the TV Wonder Woman, you know, with um, Linda Carter. Yeah. Um, they, on the first season episode, they gave an exact location um, in the episode, and it shows that it's in... The Bermuda Triangle, which I think is brilliant because <laughs> yeah. the Bermuda Triangle has so many like weird stories and things yeah. disappearing in little holes, which would make sense if people can't find it. Yeah. Um, and then in the 2009 animated movie, it was located in the Aegean Sea. And then in the new movie that just came out, um, it was placed somewhere in the Mediterranean. Right. Yeah. Also, it's been to outer space <laughs> <laughs> in the comics. So it was destroyed by the villain Imperiax. Mm-hmm. Then rebuilt back, then rebuilt back into the Bermuda Triangle as the as new the mascara. Okay, is it but, too soon for a Wonder Woman reboot where she's from space? <laughs> apparently, awesome. like it happened, and the, it was very common. I was like, I never heard of this. Um, or our fourth Superman or yeah. Spider Man. <laughs> well, Spider Man is Marvel and Sony. <laughs> It's, it's all just saying. It's yeah. time for space one. <laughs> space yeah, one. It is time for space one. Yes. <laughs> so, I would watch that. I would too. Space Amazons. Um, creatures on the mascara. So Amazons would ride kangas, and they are exactly what you think: giant kangaroos. Nice. Um, these marsupials have the ability to leap so high and so far that they can take flight. <laughs> they can even fly into outer space. That's where outer space is um, the Kangas have special lungs that allow for them to hold their breath for this very purpose. Mm-hmm. The Amazons use Kangas for transportation in tournaments and races and for hauling building material the way that we would use horses. Yeah. Um, Wonder Woman's Kangas name was Jumpa, by the way. Um, they are very popular in the comics, and apparently a lot of fans were wondering if they were going to be in the new movie, but Patty Jenkins is like, no, we're, we're not going to do that. Well, the movies are really going for like realism. No, yeah, exactly. They were... Yeah. And I can see how that would look kind of out of place in the way that the movie was done. <laughs> there's the reboot. Yeah. The reboot in outer space, they will need the Kangas so they can fly in outer space, jump in outer space. There are so many like absurd things that DC Comics has that oh, I yeah. hope that when they reboot it that they actually put in. Because like, Batman has a pet uh, cow. Bat cow? Shut up. Um, uh, what's his name? The Flash has like uh, a time-traveling uh, treadmill. There's so much great. What? 
absurd stuff in DC Comics that that's hilarious. The movies are completely ignoring. Yeah, I mean, and that's how to get people to see because <laughs> we've already seen the Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. Want to see the DC movies. I like you know, it. Show us the you know planet that's also a Green Lantern. Yeah, like that'd be cool. Um, so other creatures that have made its way to the island are dinosaurs, which is so cool. Mm-hmm. Dragon, sphinx, centaurs, they said winged horses, so pegasus. Um, winged lions, giant wasps, giant birds, nymphs, griffins, and of course a battle elephant that can walk on air with two trunks, three eyes, and two mouths. Of course. Yes, naturally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm paying $11 to go to a theater to see that on an 80-foot screen. Yeah. Exactly. In um, Put it together, DC. Yeah. You got three people willing to see One of the last things I came across right before you guys get here was um, Doom's Door is the entrance to the underworld. And then in George Perez's 1980s version of Wonder Woman, this portal to the underworld is located underneath Paradise, is still Paradise Island at that Mm -hmm. time. As an additional part of their punishment, um, the Amazons must guard this door at great risk to themselves. The warrior women take turns on duty, staying outside, and many lose their own lives in the process. So even though they're immortal, they can still be killed. Yeah. Um, another thing I was looking up is I always I remember hearing about this because um, I don't really go into Wonder Woman too much because that would be too much fun. I haven't gotten to that <laughs> yet, so I don't really go into like her lasso truth and all that stuff. But yeah. a lot of the women, a lot of the Amazons have like the agility and the strength. She just has more of it because she is a demigod. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this whole thing of like, well, why can't Wonder Woman return? They talk about how Wonder Woman can't return. There's many theories. But the one that they kind of insinuate now, at least in the comics, and now with the new movie is, if you leave, you can't return, which I think is a stupid reason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but someone's like, there's always an ex- oh, there's always a way back to home, always a reason to come back. Yeah. Um, but apparently there are other reasons, one involving a tree that kind of sent her into a coma. But I got really confused in reading the article, and I felt okay because <laughs> I looked at the comics and some or comments and. All of the comments were like, this is very confusing, this is very confusing. Yeah. So I don't know if it was written that or, like, the comics itself didn't explain it well enough. It's probably a mixture of both. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, DC Comics can be absurd. Yeah, but... Because um, they're obviously doing a sequel, but I think a sequel, not that will make any difference because the Amazons won't age, they'll all be the same age. Yeah. Um, it'll be in present day, obviously, because we just got her origin story. They said that they were going to set it during World War Two. Think, didn't they? Oh, I, I have no, no idea. Maybe I didn't even know that they had it, it picked out. It'd be the easy thing, yeah. But um, and then what she wait, no, that's Mars. Like, so she can run into Captain America? Nope, wrong, <laughs> wrong universe, wrong um, universe. Um, I mean, I, at I'll least till Disney buys both the properties in 2030. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, where's I going with this? Yeah, they were talking about how you're immortal as long as you stay, and they're saying, well. Since Diana left, she isn't immortal. She just ages very, very slowly. But she's a demigod. So I was like, that doesn't make sense. She's not going to (laughs) age. So that's all I. That's what I got about the mascara. Until I find the island, I'll let you know. I don't have anything to add to that. You obviously know what Oh yeah, did you know, know any, or do you have any other fun facts? I try to look up cool things about the mascara, but the thing is, with every comic book writer, with every movie, with every TV show, they, I mean, it's, it's fantasy, you get to kind of take it into your own hands to a certain degree. Uh, did you know that Gail Simone, who wrote on Wonder Woman primarily uh, throughout the 90s and early 2000s, said that she's bisexual? No, I did not know that. Yep, awesome. she confirmed it on Twitter. Um... What else? You mentioned the dinosaurs. Did mm-hmm. you know that in the DC universe, there's an entire like continent that still has dinosaurs on it? No. Yep. Which one? Uh, I think it. I think it's called. It like it's a fictional one. I think it's called the Forbidden Lands or something like oh. that. But it's they go to it all the time. Like the X Men will go to it, and then that's how X Men fight a pterodactyl. So if you've ever wanted to see the X Men fight a pterodactyl, you go to the Forbidden Lands. <laughs> Okay. Um, that's yeah. cool. I want something more thing. Yeah, exactly. that is. When's that excellent coming out? I would love to. See Hugh Jackman's not getting any uh, younger. No. Uh, let's see. What else is there? Um, 
Secret Six crossover. Oh, um, Wonder Woman. Uh, Batman explains in the comics one day that um, Wonder Woman is the most powerful superhero. She says that he, he says that um, he's explaining to Clark Kent that like he has kryptonite for all yeah. the superheroes. He's gonna uh, if they ever like have their mind taken, which happens all the time, mm-hmm. or if they ever like go evil, he has their weaknesses and boxes ready to go and then he holds up Diane's and he flips it open and he says Wonder Woman has no kryptonite ha (laughs) (laughs) snap Um, yeah she doesn't have anything that weakens her yeah those are the only fun facts that I have Um, do you have any those are great fun facts I mean not particularly that's all good the weirdest you know (laughs) yeah um, oh. you, you did mention Watchmen. I saw on Twitter earlier. I might have to find it again, but somebody, uh, somebody took every panel of Watchmen right. and um, made one of those uh, posters of it so that all oh, of them wow. are laid out end to end, and it's every panel of the Watchmen. Uh, and it's really cool because there are scenes like that match up with each other across different uh, issues oh, of Watchmen. Oh, that's neat. Because um, even though, like. I read it as a graphic novel. I'm assuming you did the same, yeah. but it was published as a comic where it was like issue oh, it was, one, yeah, issue two, issue three. Yeah, the whole book by the time. Yeah. I read it, and it was like I finished... I tried to space it out, so I yeah. finished it in like two or three days as opposed to one sitting. Yeah. <laughs> and I really, really enjoyed it. And then I remember reading why the last man, like, Dan, or Dan, Cameron had it in like ten issues, or it had it in like ten segments. And I got all the way up to seven, but someone had borrowed his last three. I literally oh, no. had to wait four months for the last three. I'm like, are you kidding me? Those are the, like, the best ones. Why the Last Man was really good. Yeah. Um, if you enjoyed Lost or if you enjoy uh, any of those non-linear storytelling yeah. kind of comics, it's really good. I really well done. Yeah. Uh, so, Bryn, what Tell us what you're going to talk about. Um, nope. Oh, you're I'll fine. Just kick over the <laughs> Just kick over the, the mic. Here. Yeah. But, uh, see, you're mentioning uh, about the lady president, how nothing really important happened from... 1861 to 1865? Yeah, Edith her administration mm-hmm. was the uh, was a bombing of Wall Street, and like it's not something that was even covered in the you know, AP history class in high school. Yeah. Like, it would, like when in college, yeah, she gave this book and it was just like, <laughs> oh, this was like a huge terrorist attack that no one because I think it was eighty five victims, like casualties, like oh my gosh, you know, yeah, someone took a you know crate full of uh. I mean, just kind of, you know, keeps uh, being replayed, but, you know, a bomb, you know, filled with nails and shrapnel and blown up in the middle of Wall Street, and I think uh, the book itself is the, uh, I think, The Day Wall Street Exploded. The Day Wall Street Exploded. And uh, it talks about, like, how both the NYPD and the, you know, beginnings of I guess it wasn't really the beginning because it just started like becoming a powerful thing, but the Bureau of Investigation were trying so hard to pin it on, you know, active socialists like, yeah. you know, Eugene Debs and anyone who was like, you know. He wasn't in prison then? Um, I think he was tossed in prison a couple times for it because, you know, he needed to be yeah. investigated because yeah. obviously he knew what went on because, mm-hmm. you know, innocent until proven guilty. But, uh. <laughs> right. The Day Wall Street Exploded by Beverly Gage. Yeah. And, um, I think by the end, the book starts pointing as, like, it was probably Italian anarchist, which, you know, I'm not going to doubt that uh, Italian <laughs> anarchist blew some things up in the uh, early 20th century. We've already because, talked about that. Uh, <laughs> but. So they never was, actually figured no, out. No, there was never a solved case. There's, you know. There were leads that weren't followed because they're too busy following what they wanted to follow. Yeah. But um, I think even in I guess leftist thought, there's you know 
obviously J. Edgar Hoover and the formation of the formal FBI has yeah. obviously always been pointing to the left as the boogeyman. Right. And, like, it's not something that, you know, Hoover did on his own. Mm-hmm. It's not like the FBI or the Bureau of Investigation was, you know. I can't say, like, when it started because I found, like, the very roots of it were was a Bureau of Criminal Investigation, which right. basically late 19th century, you know, criminals could just, you know, do a crime in one town, go to the next one. No one knew who they were. There's no yeah. communication at all between states yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know, city cops. So there's a national thing that, hey, we're just going to have a criminal database. Yeah. yeah. You can just, you know, I guess telegraph or, you know, whichever you know, information and, you know. But then you fill that database with, like, Eugene B. Debs, well, who's not outlined shit up, but... I mean, you fill it with, you know, whoever you want. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, and a lot of uh, early criminal forces were, you know, filled with, from the ranks for private organizations like the Pinkertons, mm-hmm. which yeah. is obviously, you know... So, when the Pinkertons get a federal badge, they're not going to be... Oh, we're going to, you know, look for crime. We're going to... They still have the... Probably... It's safe to assume that they still have the same mission of... We're still fighting for... Yeah. Yeah. But, uh... Let's see. What's the timeline on that? When did the Pinkertons become... Um, I mean... Were they already in it? See... It goes to, uh... Teddy (laughs) Roosevelt... Okay. And it was kind of hard because, yeah, he's, you know, a face of, you know, yeah. early 20th century progressives, but he yeah. wanted a, you know, way to fight crime on a national level. Mm-hmm. And whether, like, I'm not going to assume that a wealthy man from New York had the best interests of the public in mind at all times, but there's a, uh, there's a whole lot of propaganda behind Teddy Roosevelt. It's actually yeah. one of the things I noticed going through uh, sources in the New York Times. I forget which art or which date it was. I think it was about 1908 because I was looking with other things about this time. And there are four pages with pictures, you know, four full five columns wide, mm-hmm. you know, about all these great things about Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. And... He's on he Mount Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> he's having, I mean, like, he's like, that's not what I'm talking about. The thing that I uh, talked about at the very end is the author of it. It's like, well, these are things that I imagine Teddy Roosevelt would say. <laughs> so, you know, you have... They're literally this, putting words yeah, in. Yeah, putting yeah. words in his mouth. It's just... And it's just like... I don't know, it's hard Journalism. to say. <laughs> Anyone can do it. <laughs> I mean, like, in this day and age, yes, anybody can yes. do it, and they do. Like, even, you know, the New York Times today, while they will uh, post, you know, a opinion column on, yeah. you know, well, this is what Trump should be, and, mm. like, even that's, like, they'll, they will still carry water, but this is obscenely overt, even, yeah. to my, but, anyways, um, see... He, back to, I guess, what I was saying was, uh, he kept trying to get Secret Service agents who are, I'm not sure if they still are, but at the time, they were part of the Department of Treasury. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. He kept trying to get them to, you know, investigate these crimes on mm-hmm. a national level, and the Department of Treasury was like, no, and, you know, Southern Democrats were, you know, you're trying to create a secret police force, and, you know, we're not going to stand for Of course, they had their own reasons for that because of their own, you know, corruption, (laughs) fighting the KKK, and, you know, they don't want anything to, you know, mess up what they had. It's just, uh, um, see. So, in July 26th of 1908, uh, Stanley Finch, like, it was organized, and there was a Bureau of Investigation, Mm -hmm. And, but the problem is, 
They didn't bother to tell Congress about it until December of 1908. <laughs> so six months later. <laughs> so it seems like something you might want to mention, maybe over Congress. Well, and after or... you know, Congress kept you yeah. know, saying you can't use this, you can't do this. So he just kind of did it, did it, and like I'll ask for forgiveness later. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Which, like, from guess, the local library, there's really not that many sources from newspapers. I just did a quick search and mm-hmm. um, see the Courier Journal. There wasn't like. There wasn't outrage about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think uh, Cincinnati Inquirer did have uh, a few years later on the October 11th edition. Of course, the Cincinnati Inquirer is also, I guess, been more conservative mm-hmm. you know, in its history. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, this bureau, the Bureau of Investigation, has within a few years developed into an important and far reaching establishment. Without any particular authority of law, is as people claim, it doesn't have any authority. Um, it's assumed powers which uh, Wickersham intends to curtail, and Wickersham might be, if anyone's like a fan of prohibition history, <laughs> there's uh, the Wickersham Commission, which was you know investigating how police departments crack down on prohibition. Yeah. Or, Speakeasies and like the vast proliferation of that, which of course, when you have a national thing saying, "Hey, police, you should do this and this," yeah. you know, also isn't quite what I would consider, uh, you know, without reason to give a silent. You know, there's probably a uh, purpose to that. Yeah, but um, so the FBI is using prohibition to like expand its powers. Right, and it seems to be a common theme with the FBI because, like, those 1908 is when uh, the Bureau of Investigation was created, but by 1910 with the, uh, I guess, the passing of the Mann Act, which was colloquially known as the White Slavery Act, of course. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is this? Um, basically, uh, national, you know, Police force to try to curtail uh, human trafficking. Okay. Which, again, on the face, it's hard to say no to you know human trafficking. Right. Yes. You know, yes, women yes. were you know being transported across you know state lines for or to prostitution or yeah, you know, God knows what else and like and uh, see one of the where's that? I think it was the World Purity Federation. World they, Purity. Yes. I mean, Jesus. You know how but, they name that. Come on. But and it was. Federations. I mean, I'm sure it goes, you know, but it was a uh, small paper, you know, pamphlet, really, yeah. and founded in La Crosse, Wisconsin, 1897. So it predates, you know, most of the Bureau of Investigation. So, but. See, in 1910, even came here in Louisville, and actually 1912. And uh, I assume it was, he would go to cities across the country saying, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to fight against, you know, white slavery. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, which, of course, is, was loaded then. Is still, obviously, it's loaded now. But, you know, obviously then it's, well... Yeah, speaking to uh, what I'm going to safely assume was a all-white audience in yeah. Louisville in 1912. Yeah. You know, we, you know, we've, I, you won't be able to see the air quotes, but we freed the black man, <laughs> so we need to free the white woman as well. Mm. Which, you know, just basically, you know, rile everyone up and yeah. see. But I start to uh, question, I guess, his... Uh, his motives when uh, seemed in most of the things or something along the lines of well this one's a direct quote from his speech here in Louisville was uh, there could be no doubt and if this is not done it will for the sole reason that the law is incomplete and that there are insufficient funds for the purpose that, are, that we are not within the control of our Department of Justice which sure. Other ones, he actually put numbers on it, which uh, 
said, uh, we can, if you give us a million dollars and $250,000 a year, of course, this is in 1910, 1912 oh, money. Yeah. So a lot of money. If you don't give us a lot of, if you give us a lot of money, we can end white slavery. That's and, you know, works. he's going around basically fundraising for this. Bureau yeah. of Investigation. Well, I'm sure glad that we don't have any modern day Yeah, and, like, and by, I'm going to assume by World War One yeah. that white slavery was over and there wasn't <laughs> another woman transported across state lines for illegal <laughs> purposes. Yeah, never. But, uh, it's just, uh, then, uh, of course, right after that, you get, you know, Communist agitating in Russia, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then World War One itself, mm-hmm. where we need to keep an eye on the Irish and the Germans, to, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, I guess the Irish were just anti-British as much as anyone always, <laughs> but <laughs> but you know, so you got to keep an eye on them. So it became definitely less about any. Better men of the world, but we need to enforce these sedition acts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Wilson. I'm not sure if it was the sedition acts, like it wasn't, but we're along the same line, you know. Any criticism of the war, you know, anti, <laughs> you know, anti-war, yeah, you know, <laughs> will <sorry>. be. <laughs> any anti-war speech will be yeah. prosecuted, yeah, <laughs> particularly from you know suspicious types, like you know. Germans or, or you know, Russians who yeah. obviously have had anarchist ties in America since mm-hmm. they came over since here, or age. you know. <laughs> but, um, so the Sedition Act was nineteen eighteen. Okay. So yeah, all of that would have been in the lead up to World War Two. Finch really liked asking people to keep an eye on you know certain neighborhoods. Yeah. Which I'm, you know, just going to guess that it wasn't just, you know, white. Suburban. Well, it was, you know, the, you know, docks, the bad parts of town where, you know, human trafficking was. Mm -hmm. And And also workers. Workers, yeah, it would be, of course, a lot of those people were left-leaning because they're also some of the most depressed people then and now. So it's, you know, Mm -hmm. keep an eye out for, you know, anyone who would... uh, yeah, speak out against the war, <laughs> or capitalism in general, or you know, cause a disturbance. Yeah. And, uh, let's see, I think Finch was replaced by uh, a Lithuanian named Pulaski, and there really wasn't too much on him. Okay. Lasky. Uh, or Pulaski. Yeah, B-I-E-L-A-S-K-I. Okay. And I think he was the one who, I guess he was the head of the Bureau of Investigation during the Wall Street bombing. So, okay. I mean, mm-hmm. but there's just not that much information because yeah. he wasn't really the first. And the wasn't, further back you go, the harder it gets sometimes. <laughs> It's kind of strange that this is such a dead zone oh. of history. It's like yeah. Edith Wilson, the Wall Street bombing, and then there's like no information. <laughs> well, um, actually, this name reminded me of uh, the Attorney General under, because Wickersham was the Attorney General mm-hmm. under Taft, okay. and the Attorney General who oversaw like the creation of the BOI was uh, Charles Bonaparte. Who is the nephew of? Well, this is just like a little bit of trivia, but he's the nephew of Napoleon. Nice, cool. or grand nephew of Napoleon, and uh, he was the attorney general under uh, Roosevelt when this all started. Good life. But like, it seemed me and Roosevelt were, you know, very much. I, I think Bonaparte himself. was active in, like, anti-racism. Of course, then it might not have been quite as, you know, I guess woke as uh, <laughs> in the first century, but, you know, it seemed to be 
in earnest, if uh-huh. not. But, uh, let's see, oh, there's the... So he was actually fighting the KKK and stuff? Yeah, okay. which, you know, which probably would be one of the reasons why the Cincinnati Inquirer and, you know, yeah. Southern Democrats were very much against <laughs> this, but, like, it's, it's all shades of gray, you know, yeah. good in one ways, but, uh, the roots were laid for, you know, someone like... Hoover to come in. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the, the people who replaced Pulaski, the next two heads mm-hmm. of the department, were fired in, or resigned in disgrace uh. for... Like, uh, this job sounds like a hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a job where the your sole job is to spy on Americans is kind of, you know... Yeah. Sounds fun. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, let's see, I think I don't even bother writing their names just because they weren't that interesting because yeah, they kind of confirm my preconceived notions that I think Flynn resigned in disgrace because he uh, was involved with the Oregon land scandal, mm-hmm. which was, you know, just really basic. Uh, you know, they get people to claim this. You know, land yeah, in Oregon, yeah. and then buy it for you know three cents on the dollar yeah. when it was supposed to be sold for two cents, and then yeah, yeah, sell it to uh, timber companies, like yeah. give them the rights to create timber because it wasn't good for settling, but you know, mountains and trees. <laughs> but uh, and then Burns was he was fired. For actually due to public pressure from, you know, Irish and German communities for the way that, you know, the Bureau of Investigation was keeping such a, you know, patriotic eye on any dissent. Uh, racial profiling? Or... I don't know. I mean, I guess in 1908, or I guess 19, you know, during World War I, I guess Irish didn't quite attain their white status that they uh, enjoy today. Right. Of course, Germany was barely even a country, so who knows? Right. I wouldn't know what the uh, ethnicities of, you know, who would be acceptable Germans and who would be unacceptable. Yeah, it's hard to say at 1918. I think the Irish were white at that time, but I could be wrong. But there was something that uh, ended on a uh, lighter note was... uh, going through these saw an advertisement for beer and it wasn't beer like you know Budweiser it was just beer in general as in <laughs> this is the greatest drink of all time <laughs> drink beer and it was, uh, it was a, you know beer is refreshing nutritious invigorating and non-intoxicating <laughs> well see I mean because I guess this was is this the pre- advertisement this is, yeah the... this is pre-prohibition so, non-intoxicating. You know, and it goes through a list of, like, you know, water. You know, water's great, but you can't find water, and mm-hmm. the water you can find is probably going to be filthy, so you're better off with beer, yeah. which, you know. But, uh, let's see, it's five columns, and it goes on to, like, soft drinks of, like, there's rotted fruit in that. You can't drink soft drinks. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, how times and, have uh, changed. Coffee and tea, like, you know. What did the guys say about coffee? <laughs> um, it will give you a heart attack. Yeah. It, it wrecks your nervous system for a week. Oh, like, just all these insane things. It goes, it's a five-column wide yeah. like, advertisement. advertisement. And it just beer. goes in all, like, all the health medicines. Beer is food. Yeah. <laughs> it's like talked about like, the nutrition. That's the slogan for it's BBC, got, beer is food. Beer is food. <laughs> You know, it's got, like, all important phosphates. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is and brilliant. <laughs> Guinness was actually invented, like, as a food. It was meant to help the monks while they were fasting. So mm-hmm. that checks out. It gives you calories. Well, it was yeah. the first, uh... It's a sandwich in a glass. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> no, it all came back to the sandwich. <laughs> right, it was the first, uh, welfare program in uh, Babylonia. Oops. I mean, you know, you know I was, Food to eat will, you know, give you a gallon of beer. 
Or a couple gallons. I'm not sure what the... Uh, or was it a gallon? Because Babylonians probably didn't use it. But it's not intoxicating, so it's fine. Well, it goes on to that, like, a list of, you know... You know, French wines are, like, 10% alcohol. Yeah. You know, whiskeys are 30%. And beers, you know... Uh, uh, European beer is 4 to 5%, but American beer is just 35 You can drink it all day without feeling the effects of alcohol. <laughs> I guess... For the more seasoned alcohol, you know, yeah. you're really, like, not wrong, but, like, I like to think that if I spent all day drinking even, you know, Bud Light, like, I'd at least, you know, yeah. I, I actually, I, I remember enough of college, you could definitely drink enough Natty and Bud Light to uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> make mistakes. <laughs> Over the course of 12 hours. <laughs> but, like, it was just great to see, uh, I guess... An infomercial about, like, yeah, obviously, as flawed as every bit of science in that was, it was just great to see it. Yeah. As, you know, beer is the scrappy underdog of the beverage industry. Yeah. Is it ever now? (laughs) Now there's a brewery on every other corner. Yeah. It definitely is. It's a lot better than what they were drinking in 1912. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I will be snobby and say I'm pretty sure what we're drinking now is better than what they had back then. Oh, definitely. Except for High Life. Stop. <laughs> high Life. <laughs> just one of those commercials. No. It's like one second. It's just someone going, High Life, and that's the commercial. <laughs> nope. They like intermittent it throughout the Super Bowl one year. It kept getting like shorter and shorter. It's all right. It wasn't that great. <laughs> It sounds good. I, I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Subliminal was- messaging worked for me, but not for you guys, obviously. <laughs> yeah, they had me with the uh, talking animals, you know. Yeah, uh, the talking frogs. The talking uh. frogs, the uh, penguins coming to steal your butt ice. Oh. <laughs> Remember that? Rude penguins. That was good. Thank you. Yeah. Now I have to go back and retract on the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just yes, I demand out. a written apology because <laughs> of... All uh, <laughs> we filled it out a little bit, so okay. I don't I don't know if a, a formal apology to the listeners is necessary, okay. but uh, I, I think this will do. Yes. Uh, this will do. Thank you for <laughs> fixing my. <laughs> if any well, other, it's just you know, it's completely like it just doesn't get any press. Like it's yeah, just, yeah. You know, like Hoover didn't create the FBI. He yeah. just yeah. He just had all these, uh, you know, all these legalities to get whatever information he wanted on whoever he wanted. Mm -hmm. And you give that to the wrong person and... uh, Great things can happen. Yeah. And then you have PRISM. And then everybody has an automatically generated record. Um, Yeah. We didn't even get to, like the CIA or anything like that. Right. Like, this is just us, is us spying on yeah. us, much less, you know. <laughs> spying on others. Um, if any other listeners ever have a uh, uh, correction that you want to come yeah. on the show, if you're in Louisville, uh, come on, correct us. We're armchair experts, so we're not going to get everything right. Yeah, I was, I'm super offended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of mine was just off of one book. Like, yeah. There's 80 books, I'm sure, then... I'd have to read to be an armchair, well, <laughs> an expert, but right. yeah, armchair expert. I, I read a single book. I'm an expert. Exactly. Yes, right. You That's are the on this show. That's you how are. we do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Nah. Nah. Do you have anything you want to plug? Um, not particularly. No. Not particularly. All right. Uh, check out the website. That's um, uh, absentheactivismarts.wordpress.com. Uh, we've got uh, artwork from Katie. Huh? I said that one's got three. <laughs> mm-hmm. We've got uh, We're really big Katie. on alliteration here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we enjoy alliteration. Yes. Um, Katie's got uh, artwork mm-hmm. up on the website. Uh, we'll probably be putting Katie and Cameron's podcast up on the website eventually. Um, go buy my books, uh, In the Shadows of My Mind, and Red Hats and Black Masks. Um, are both up uh, I've got links to them up on the site um, we've got show notes uh, so you can check out some of the stuff we've talked about um, yeah. anything else anything I'm forgetting yeah, that's I think that's good for what we got so far All right. let's, let's hope you get famous so I can get uh, your 
pre-printed uh, manuscript. Yes. That's I, right. I still have one of those uh, floating around my head. Nice. So. Awesome. Of, of Shadows or of... Um, um, I think it was your first one? book. Shadows. Shadows. Yes. So uh, <laughs> if you hit that, you know, go J.K. Rowling. That's yeah. my retirement. I'll even sign up for you. <laughs> yeah, I have your book. Yeah. I feel like you signed it. Oh, there it is. Yes. Awesome. I love my friends supporting <laughs> me. Um, that's all that we've got for this week, listeners. Um, until next week. Yes. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>